Good morning and welcome everybody to this pre-recorded service for the 21st of March 2021 here at uh, Calvary Church in Brighton. A church of about 70 to 80 people meeting together on a Sunday morning in what used to be normal and uh, we're based here on the south coast of England. We are a, an independent Baptist church. The notices are up on the screen there. And I draw to your attention these five Easter questions which have been pre-recorded and are available elsewhere on this channel. What is Easter? What is Christian faith? Easter fact. Is it believable? Easter hope. Is it good? Jesus and faith. Is it necessary? Jesus, faith and Easter. How does it all work? And I commend those to you if you're um, a regular and if you're a newcomer to Christian things I commend those to you and maybe you'd like to recommend them to your friends too. Here is the plan for this morning. Our theme is what did Jesus come to do and uh, my name's Philip Wells. I'm going to be leading and uh, bringing a talk on this subject uh, later. Uh, I work for the church here as a pastor elder and have done for quite a number of years. We're going to be thinking about what did Jesus come to do uh, we looked last time at who is Jesus and we're continuing on that theme in the evenings to gain a richer and fuller understanding of everything that went on at Easter. Who did it, what was involved, what the implications are. Uh, so as I say today we're looking at the work of Jesus Christ. What did he come to do? And he did come with a purpose and here's one of the statements of this purpose. This is Jesus talking to a tax collector and said today salvation has come to this house for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost what did the son of man that's Jesus what did the son of man come to do he came to seek and to save what was lost and uh, those of us who are Christian believers find that a very precious truth because that's what he's done for us he came to seek and to save what was lost let me pray briefly as we begin. Lord, set our hearts and minds in the right place, with the right attitude, to draw near to you in this time. Uh, you have said that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. May we be found returning to you, and that you will be found turning to us. Amen. So in thinking of the purpose for which Jesus came, I've chosen some songs for, to uh, fit with that theme and let's first of all sing uh, the, what's usually sung at Christmas about the coming of the Christ. Once in Royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed. There a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother mild, Jesus Christ her little child. He came down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all. And uh, that, that's who he was, that's what he came to do. And uh, we'll sing this song together, Once in Royal David's City. Where a mother laid her 
down to earth from heaven who is God and Lord of all and his shelter was a stable and his cradle was a stall with the poor and meek and lowly lived on earth our saviour holy and our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love for that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above and he leads his children on to the place where he is gone not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by we shall see him, but in heaven, set at God's right hand on high. There his children gather round, bright like stars, with glory crowned. And we thank you together, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, for your Son Jesus. Thank you that he came down to earth from heaven in his humility, in his generosity, in his kindness. We thank you that he lived a life on earth of contradiction and temptation, uh, but yet a life of kindness and steadiness, faithfulness and wisdom and courage. And we thank you that uh, this particular climax that we're coming to remember 
at the season of Easter when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and ended up giving his life upon the cross. And we think of the hugeness of what took place there, of uh, this man nailed to this cross under these circumstances, the time when the sun refused to shine, the time when the earth quaked, uh, the time when the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom and that uh, in a sense the end of the world happened there and then as he took upon himself the wrath of God against our human sin and we marvel and pray that our hearts would be big enough to marvel we pray that we would be conscious of what this means we uh, might be conscious more of our sin and the awfulness of that and the sacrifice of Christ and the brilliance of that and we pray that we might be again uh, filled with awe and wonder and praise at what Christ has done for us and we thank you for that empty tomb by which death was not able to keep hold of him and he rose into deathlessness and uh, ascended into heaven and promises that he shall take us to be with him, that we shall see his glory and be with him where he is. We thank you, Lord, for these great truths. We thank you for the truth that he will come in majesty and power and glory to take his full reign, to be recognised as to who he is, and to set all things right and to make all things new. And we pray that we would not lose sight of this. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins. We get so worried about things, we get so anxious about things, we get the wrong perspective and uh, mentally and emotionally we um, just don't seem to be capable of trusting you as we should and staying calm as we should and walking with you as we should. So please forgive us, particularly forgive us for our unbelief. And teach us to be believers, we pray, and teach us to be followers, and teach us to be lovers of yours and disciples of yours. So we pray that you would bless this time together, and we pray that at this particular time in our own lives, and at this particular time in our church's life, we may know the strength and comfort and the guidance and help of the living God through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ, you who stand at the Father's right hand as the great High Priest, please do not fail to send from heaven the almighty help we need, the provision we need, the, all the Christian graces that we need, so that we may honour you at, the, uh, at this particular juncture. And we also pray that we will see men and women and boys and girls coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We lament that we see this so little, and we ask that there might be a definite impact on people these days by the gospel, by the power of your spirit. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers and advance your kingdom. Bless your people. Make Jesus Christ be seen to be glorious by many, many people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. We're now going to have a children's slot, which, uh, which I'll hand over to Mark. Thanks very much, Mark. Welcome, Calvary children. Um, it's Mark here. Lovely to be here. Um, guess where I am? I'm in the Caribbean. I'm in Venezuela. It's really hot. The beaches are great, lovely and sandy. Not like Brighton, all those pebbles. <sighs> really lovely tropical weather. The ocean, oh, it's beautiful. <sighs> like a bath. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying yourself um, in Brighton during lockdown. Well, I've got friends. Do you know what this fish is called? It's quite fierce. Yeah. It's a piranha. Where would you find this in the world? Which continent? Africa? America? Europe? Asia? Antarctica? Piranhas live in the rivers and streams of South America. Today, children, we're fishing at the lakeside with Jesus as he calls his disciples. Don't worry, there are no piranhas. There are some lessons for us to learn, so I hope you have your listening ears on. Let's read our text. It's Mark chapter 1, 16 to 20. Jesus, passing along the beach of Lake Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew net fishing. Fishing was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make you fishermen, a new kind of fishermen. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask any questions. They dropped their nets and they followed. Follow Jesus. A dozen yards or so down the beach, he saw the brothers. James and John, Zebedee's sons, they were in the boat, mending their fishnets. Right off, he made the same offer. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their father Zebedee. Goodbye, daddy. Goodbye. And the hired hands. Goodbye, goodbye, guys. And they followed Jesus. What do we learn from this story, boys and girls? Well, firstly, Jesus gives his disciples a new calling. They were fishermen, catching fish, selling fish. And now they're called to catch men and women. Secondly, Jesus calls his disciples to love him more than their jobs. They 
put down their nets and they follow Jesus. Jesus is more important than their jobs. And lastly, Jesus calls them to love him more than their family. Did you notice that James and John, Zebedee's sons, they left their dad. Jesus is more important than our family. Wow. Today, boys and girls, Jesus is still calling people to follow him. Perhaps he's calling you. Let's praise God that Jesus is worth following above anyone and anything. Let's ask God to help you love him as he deserves. remember this story boys and girls um i'd like you to do some craft today so i would like you to make a fish so you'll need some cardboard perhaps a old cereal box and on the cereal box i want you to draw a template of a fish here mine one's quite small you make it bigger and after that, go to the kitchen and get some kitchen foil. Here's one I made earlier. And wrap it around the fish, like so. And if you would like, you can mark it, score it with a pen um, or something else to make the scales. Um, Rachel helped me with this one. Or you can use a pen, but pens don't really work. So there we go. You can make your fish and remember the story of the disciples following Jesus. Let's pray. Let's put our hands together. Eyes closed. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story from your word. Thank you for your authority to call your disciples. Thank you that they obeyed and they left their nets and followed you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're worth following more than anybody and anything in the whole world. And we pray that you'd help us to follow you and love you as you deserve. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, children. God bless you. Bye-bye.
So still thinking about the reason for Jesus' coming. What did he come to do? There's a couple of readings, uh, both of which state Jesus' intention in coming. And the latter one says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Why did he come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many? So thank you, Rosemary, for reading these two passages. Mark 1, 35 to 39, a few verses there, and Mark 10, 35 to 45. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And now chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Before we come to think of God's word, let's sing again, uh, lifting high the name of the Lord and remembering that he came down from heaven to earth. He went to the cross and from the cross to the grave and from the grave to the sky. The uh, career if you like of the things that Jesus did what did he come to do these are the things that he did so we'll sing uh, Lord I lift your name on height number 314 if you're interested in the number let's sing it
so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you came to save us You came from heaven to earth to show the way From the earth to the cross I dare to pay From the cross to the grave before we do so. O oh Lord, you have said that you do mighty things by your word. You bring life from the dead through your word. You feed your people through your word. You convince people and convict people through your word. You show us the motives and intentions of our hearts so that we can repent. And we pray that you will work powerfully through your word Help speaker and hearers alike as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we prayed. So let's look at this matter of uh, what Jesus came to do as we approach Easter. The pandemic is here for a purpose and God has sent it. And it's meant to prompt us to turn to him. It's meant to raise issues like the issues of our mortality, the issue of our fragility, the issues of life and death, because death has come that much closer to many of us, if not all of us. And this touches upon our relationship to our Creator. So as we approach Easter, which is a particular time to look back and remember Jesus' death and resurrection, we can do so with a particular relevance, maybe for the first time, to think about the death and resurrection of Jesus in connection with our own mortality. And maybe this makes us look up to the realities of God and eternity. God wants us to do that. Maybe this has a new relevance for us as uh, 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 in this particular period of history, particular period of our, our nation's consciousness. And uh, Easter is a time to look forward to the resurrection, to life after death. And maybe for you who are tuning in today to do so with a renewed interest. Of course, this hits home to all of us, doesn't it? So just a reminder of our online services leading up to Easter, and of course you can look at them after Easter as well. 
We're looking at five Easter questions in five little 10 minute videos uh, aimed at uh, newcomers, people with questions, and our main series in the morning and evening, Understanding Easter, Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? Uh, we'll look at, at the entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then we'll think about Easter Day. And likewise, the evening series match up with that as well. So last time we looked at who is Jesus, and I said, why is this a thing to bother with? And uh, let's just take this single point that God says each of our lives here and hereafter is pinned exactly on the relationship we have with Jesus. Uh, if we are ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of us. If we're not ashamed of him, he'll not be ashamed of us on the last day. It pins exactly on our relationship to him. And I'm bringing this as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to be neutral about this. I am persuaded of the importance of Jesus Christ. And I want to bring good reasoning to persuade you, my listeners and viewers, also to believe in Jesus Christ. I, I don't assume I can do that my own cleverness. I'm depending on the help of the Holy Spirit. So last time we looked at who is Jesus, we said he's a real person, not like Robin Hood. He's an obscure person. There's something rather humble about him. And the song says, humility divine. And he has that, that um, humility, which is such an attractive quality about him. We said he was a superb teacher. But of course, the way to respond to a superb teacher is to listen to what he says and take notice of it and learn from it and listen to him above all other things, above uh, the circumstances around us, above our own hearts and intuitions and to say, he's the one who gets it all right. I'm going to listen to him. He was a miracle worker. This reminds us that uh, we need his miraculous touch upon our lives. It signifies our, his relationship to us and ours to him, that we are in need of miracles uh, in order to live and um, yeah, to relate to God day by day. He was a Jew, which reminds us that the purposes of God for us, whatever nationality we are, uh, stem from the um, the experience of Israel. God chose Abraham, and that's where salvation comes from. Salvation is from the Jews, as Jesus said. And we looked at his colossal authority, that he is Lord uh, in the biggest sense of that word, and therefore our part is gladly to bow at his feet. So we looked at who Jesus was. And this time we're looking at what did he come to do? So uh, I'm going to say uh, he came and he came for a purpose. I'm going to say, number one, he came to reveal. I'm going to say, number two, he came to redeem. And number three, he came to reign. So uh, three little symbols there. First of all, we'll look at the fact that he came with a purpose Second, uh, well, that's the zeroth point. The first major point is he came to reveal, he came to redeem, and he came to reign. So let's start off this idea of coming. So to come somewhere uh, sort of implies that you were somewhere else beforehand. You know, I came to university in Brighton having lived beforehand on the Isle of Wight. And that is a true understanding of coming in case of Jesus. Now, you can think of counterexamples. In Mark 1, verse 4, it says, John the Baptist came. didn't mean that he'd been 
that he was pre-existent, that he lived in heaven before that. But actually the, the word is more like happened. Uh, he sort of popped up, if you like. And if we stick with Mark's gospel, which is where we've been referring, uh, it would be true to say there are, uh, there are no, um, well, no that I could find, specific indications that Jesus came from heaven to earth. Not said in so many words, but of course it is said in so many words in many other places. So in John's gospel, Jesus himself says, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world was, implying that Jesus came from a residence in heaven before he came to earth. So he came from heaven to earth. Uh, and just thinking about coming, uh, there's a number of statements which say he came for, or he came to, or he came in order to. And these are all statements of motive and intention. You know, I go to the shop to buy ice cream, or I go to the seaside to avoid the pollen on the downs, or something like that. Uh, or I go to the market to buy some flowers for my wife's birthday. These all got motive and intention. And so his coming, as we shall see, has motive and intention. So even just to say that is to say that the very presence and existence of Jesus here on this earth carries this strong implication of a purpose, a mind, a thinking, a, 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 a desiring, which causes his presence to be here. Uh, his presence indicates a larger story than simply um, a Middle Eastern prophet who just lived and died and that was it. This big story precedes his birth. There's a, a backstory to his coming. And uh, this story includes and is not thwarted by his death. It goes on past his resurrection, his ascension and onwards from there. And therefore, this is a purpose which goes before and beyond this created world and actually goes into the heart of the eternal trinity. Here is a plan, uh, a purpose, a desire outside this created world into the uncreated God. And to understand this purpose is really the key to everything. It really is the key to everything, life, the universe and everything. So let's get into it. What did Jesus come to do? So point number one, he came to reveal. And you get this in Mark chapter 1 verse 38, which we had read to us, which says, uh, Jesus says, I, I want to go to the nearby villages so I can preach there. That is why I have come. I have come not primarily uh, to do healings so much as to preach. Uh, and to preach is to, to make God known. You have a similar, similar idea, not quite exactly the same, but a similar idea in the beginning of John's Gospel, where it said, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Uh, it has told us the full story of God. You know, we were in darkness and ignorance, 
without somebody telling us who God is, what he's like, uh, what his intentions are, and Jesus comes exactly to reveal the Father. You get the same sort of thing in Hebrews 1 verse 3, uh, the Son is the exact representation of God's being. So there's a, re a revealing and we learn that God is exactly the way Jesus portrays him. If we've seen him, we've seen the Father. That's what Jesus said to Philip, isn't it? Philip said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you don't realise that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as the Apostle Paul says, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And to see that face is to see everything wonderful, beautiful, glorious, majestic, marvellous. But let's focus a little bit more on what was specifically said. I have come to preach. Now that word preach, uh, it might give us the idea of somebody standing up in a pulpit in a church. That's not really the idea of uh, preach, the underlying word. Uh, to preach here is to herald. Uh, it's um, somebody who brings the news like a herald. Uh, for example, a herald would bring good news of a distant battle involving the king. And after the battle was won, the king would send out messengers and say, run off and tell the inhabitants back home, my citizens back home, I've won a great victory. You can blow a trumpet, you can shout it out, um, the king has won. Uh, the king is not defeated. He's victorious. And Jesus is saying, that's the sort of thing I'm doing. I'm heralding. And it says uh, here that the sort of thing he preached is that uh, the, uh, the kingdom of God has come. Uh, Mark 1 verse 15. The kingdom of God is near. Uh, repent and believe the good news. So there's a sense in which a, a, a massive change is is coming, um, it, it is on the doorstep. The king is near, the kingdom is near. This is good news and you need to turn and accept it. You need to turn and accept this good news. Um, there's a response involved. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Turn and believe the good news. And when Jesus comes, the kingdom starts to be revealed. And even saying it causes it to happen. You know, some speeches actually make things happen, don't they? In a wedding, when you say, uh, will you take this man? Will you take this woman? I do. You've actually changed the situation because in saying I do, you've become married. Uh, this court is now in session. And by saying it, it makes it happen. And as Jesus says, the kingdom has come, the kingdom comes. He announces the kingdom because when he comes, he brings the kingdom. So there's a revelation, a revelatory act taking place here uh, for us to believe and to turn and uh, to marvel at. So number one, to reveal. He comes to reveal. Number two, he comes to redeem. So this time we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, a statement about the intention of coming. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
a ransom for many. It's a plain statement of the reason why he came. Now, to ransom, uh, it's uh, the word um, in English linked with redeem in the underlying languages is just the same word. To ransom, to redeem, means something like this, to, to set slaves free, uh, to remove a burden by payment of a price or expenditure of large effort. So I put there a payment of a price, little bag of gold or something like that, bag of dollars. And Jesus says the Son of Man, meaning himself, and we'll come to that in a moment, did not come to be served. So he could have come to be served. Of course, he deserves to be served and have servants around him. But in this case, it's reversed. He has come to serve. And although this is a strange thing, he, he deserves to be served, but he has come to serve and to render service to many. Uh, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay a huge price for many, to set them free, uh, to set the slaves free, to break the chains, to open the, the bars of the, the doors of the prison, to say, you're free, and to do so by the payment of a huge price. And what is that price? It's to give his life and just see what is said here. The enormity of this, that the Son of Man gives his life to set free, to pay the price, to ransom many, many. And the, the many is actually a quote from Isaiah 53. You notice he doesn't say all. He doesn't say that everybody will be set free. But there is a response involved. Uh, repent and believe. And th uh, this... Uh, Ransom, uh, well, is it for you? Is it some? Are you included in this many? You see, this puts a huge, huge emphasis on the death of Jesus. I know his life is admirable, and we have much to learn from his life. But Jesus here puts the emphasis on he came to give his life as a ransom for many. A huge emphasis then upon his death. And it points up the many. He came to die for the many. And uh, that's a legitimate question. Am I to be numbered among the many? It's the same question as have I repented? Am I putting my trust wholly in the death, the person of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the promises of Jesus? Is that where my life is leaning uh, totally? That's the question, isn't it? He came to redeem. And number three, he came to reign. Now, the statements aren't in exactly the same grammatical form as the um, came to preach, came to serve. But there are statements about his coming. Uh, you get it in Mark thirteen twenty six, where it says... Mark thirteen twenty six, where it says, At that time you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And uh, there is a coming here spoken of, and you get it again in Mark fourteen sixty two. 
at the trial of Jesus, the high priest says, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, I am. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, you've got that idea of coming on the clouds and here it's sitting at the right hand. Uh, and, and these are statements of immense authority. And I'm going to say they're, uh, they're statements of, of, of a reign um, in the sense of a kingly reign. And the, to say the son of man is not just saying I'm human, you know, the same as Joe Bloggs is human. It's actually a different sort of statement here. Uh, what Jesus is doing is referencing a prophecy, which uh, I think Mark referred to the other week, in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, and this uh, person in a vision in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's Daniel 7, verse 13. So he's referencing that colossal, amazing figure there in Daniel chapter 7 and talking about coming in the sense of uh, coming to power and this coming to power. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the detail of it, but it has the sense of a coming which happens gradually in the sense that we say your kingdom come, your will be done, the, the coming advancing gradually and climatic climactically, uh, a sort of instant of the coming of the Saviour, which changes everything in a moment and brings this reign to its full consummation. So let's just take that apart a little bit. We have the idea of clouds of heaven, coming on the clouds of heaven, and the idea of coming at the right hand, just taking the clouds of heaven uh, part of it. In the Bible, clouds indicate the presence and the glory of God. So you get in Exodus that the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud. So where the pillar of cloud is, there God is present. It sort of envelops him and expresses him. And in the temple on a, a, a number of occasions, also in the uh, precursor to the temple, the tabernacle, the cloud the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. And I haven't put the reference there, but it was two kings something. Correction, it's 1 Kings 8, 11. The, the, uh, the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. So this son of man has the aura and accompaniment of divinity. And there's this strong suggestion that as clouds envelop him, so he has divinity. Uh, there is something uh, divine about this son of man. It's, you know, the, the people reading the Old Testament could hardly believe such a statement and would probably try and minimise it. But let's not minimise it. Let's maximise it. Uh, the son of man in his humanity, is also the Son of God 
in the fullness of his divinity. So the clouds of heaven, he comes to reign. And uh, the matter of the right hand, uh, the right hand of the blessed one, the right hand of God is a place of executive power. It's the place of rule. It's the place from which uh, a person has the ability to conduct lethal warfare. The right hand in Psalm 110 that we've been looking at, those of us who were following the series on Hebrews, uh, we get Psalm 10 again and again and again and again and again. And this tells us that Jesus is most certainly the most kind and forgiving person. And there is this really heartfelt invitation, come to Jesus Christ, unburden yourself of your sins, unburden yourself of trying to live life under your own power. Let him into your life and come to him in his kindness and in his forgivingness. Wash my sins away, touch my life with your miraculous touch. Take my life, all of it, I give it into your hands. There's this uh, place where Jesus is the most kind and forgiving person, but there's also this true description of Jesus. He's the person that you really, really don't want to be rebelling against. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Uh, and the, the rule of the son of man, his reign, uh, is a reign in which he puts down his enemies, those who have said, we will not have this man to rule over us. They might have said it in a very aggressive way, or they might have said it in a most polite and sophisticated way, but they said it nevertheless. And to say that is to rebel against him and to reject him. And he says, I will not have that. I am Lord. And politely or violently, you are putting yourself against me. And the anger that he will display on the last day is a just anger. There's nothing unfair about that. That is absolutely just. It is absolutely justifiable. And there's no sense in which anybody will say, oh, well, he's just being, he's just being, um, uh, you know, behaving like a spoiled child, as it were. No, absolutely not. The wrath of Jesus is an awful thing and to be avoided at all costs. Awful to be on the wrong side of him at the climax of his reign. And uh, so to come to him now. And this reign of his it's already started. As I've said, it has process involved with it and it will have a climax involved to it. But he is now on the throne of heaven and we are to have confidence in his current reign, brothers and sisters. We're not to be thinking that everything's out of control. We're not to be thinking that prayer doesn't get heard. We're not to be thinking that God's forgotten about us. And we've got to find our own solutions because God's solutions won't work. We absolutely need to have confidence in his current reign. And we are to long for his final and complete reign. And it is to be in the heart of every Christian to say, come Lord Jesus, come and take up that final reign. Have the glory that you deserve. Subdue all things to yourself. Be all in all because that's what you deserve and that's what you've put in my heart to long for, longing for his complete and final reign. Well, those were the three things. Just to summarise them, he came and this is purpose. There is a, a purpose of God that we can be caught up 
in. He came to reveal. So we're to listen and learn uh, above all things. Listen to what he says about our lives and subject ourselves to what he says, to listen and learn in awe and wonder and worship. He came to reveal. He came to redeem. Uh, there's the money bag. Let's receive that in faith. He redeems his people. We don't redeem ourselves. He justifies his people. We don't justify ourselves. He saves his people. We don't save ourselves. We submit to and gladly receive his salvation to receive in faith with thanks and gladness and gratitude. Let's be thankful and glad and grateful for his redemption. And he comes to reign. And we bow before the reigning Lord in reverence because he is the Lord. We submit our lives to him in obedience uh, because we to do his will. Why do we call him Lord, Lord, and not do the things that he says? And we're to be in submission to him every day, every moment of our lives. And to know that he is reigning gives us a degree of confidence in the current situation. Yeah, I know we've been through difficult times and we're still in difficult times, but let's not abandon confidence in assurance is our hope, in resting in him is our trust and our situation. And then lastly, his reign puts us in the position of future expectancy. We're looking forward to the day when he comes. Uh, our great hope is the fulfilment of his reign when the king comes to take uh, visibly and completely the throne, the acclaim, the place and the situation that he deserves. And that will be a great day of glory. He comes for us to reveal and to ransom and to reign. Isn't Jesus great? Amen. So Jesus comes to reveal and to redeem and to reign. And let's think of Jesus in his reigning glory as we sing this last song. At your feet we fall, mighty risen Lord, as we come before your throne to worship you. There we see you stand, mighty risen Lord, clothed in garments pure and holy, shining bright. So to the praise of Jesus Christ we sing 479, At your feet we fall.
its noonday strength. Now we see the glory of your wondrous face. Once that face was marred, now you're glorified. And your words like a two-edged sword have mighty and glorious and let's close with this prayer taken from the book of Revelation to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father to him be glory and power for ever and ever Amen to him be glory and power for ever and ever Amen Amen that's it for this morning. Uh, thanks for joining. Hope to see you soon and bye-bye just now. Bye-bye.